All right. Well done, Zip. I don't know about all you, but I always look forward to the beginning of a new school year and getting new sneakers. Because when you're a kid, they make you run faster, jump higher. I'd walk around, I'd like walk into walls looking at my new sneakers. <laughs> so uh, you're kind of stuck with me today. Uh, Pastor Steve is uh, finishing up uh, a needed vacation. It was kind of funny. Sean, he's go, his idea of a vacation is to go hike. And uh, Sean and I were practicing the other night, and as we prayed, Sean basically prays, Lord, be with our pastor as he tortures himself. <laughs> if his idea of going out and relaxing is hiking 90 miles and dealing with insects and cold and, and wet, then more power to him. <laughs> but uh, I know he takes some of that time, he absolutely uh, uses that time to commune with Christ as well. And uh, he prays, and he gets that time away apart from everything else. So uh, we pray for him, and uh, he'll be back, I believe, next week preaching. So today, we're continuing our uh, study on the book of Ephesians. Pastor Sean preached last week on the church and some qualities that we want to uh, try to carry into our relationship with the church. And so uh, I've been asked today to, to... continue this and talk about spiritual gifting. And I'm going to be honest, I need you to tolerate me. Uh, this is just a hard one to really get my mind to where I wanted it to go, but uh, hopefully I'll make sense by the time we get done with this. So let's read from Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick up right where we were. Um, I want to read starting in verse 4. Actually, let's just start in verse 1. And out of that, you can kind of rehearse some of where Sean brought us last week, and uh, we can carry that forward. Paul writes, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together 
by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So let's just take a minute and think, uh, uh, you know, to just get started about being a part of the body of Christ. We are not alone as Christians. When we are born again, we are born into the family of God. And ultimately, I'm going to be preaching on gifting, but Paul says here that in, in verses 4 through 6, basically, that there's one body. Ultimately, there's one church. Man has done everything in his power to divide that into denominations and divisions and all kinds of different things. But I think it's really important that we understand there is only one body of Christ. And that is comprised of all believers regardless of denomination, race, class, or any of the other things that people use to divide and distinguish themselves. But that also comes down to a local level. Because we ought to connect ourselves somewhere to being part of that body, shouldn't we? And so it's important we take a broad view because many, they want to promote themselves. You know, we're the best and our, our group's the best and everyone, you know, but, but ultimately, really, the, <laughs> I've served God for a long time now. What I've come down to is I see some things and you just, sign a, you just got to kind of shake your head and say, that's my family. Amen? Because the family of God is pretty nutty. We are sinners who uh, technically are saints through the redemption that is in Christ. But as our pastor brought out, we are God's workmanship. He's working on us. And that is very evident in a lot of us that we still need a lot of work. (laughs) And so, you know, let's just settle that. And as Christians, we are called to live our lives connected to and functioning as part of the body of Christ. You know, just quickly, think about a body. What is, you are not your body, are you? I know advertisers would love to tell you that. But your body, what, the real you is what? The real you is your soul, isn't it? Amen, come on. Your body is a means of expression and interaction. You following me here? So when we talk about the body of Christ, it's that same thing. His Holy Spirit indwells each and every believer. Everyone who has made Christ their Savior and their Lord, who is working to repent from their sin, the Holy Spirit has come inside of them and expresses himself. He expresses himself through us. It's the same idea. That's why the whole concept of calling the church the body of Christ is such a powerful analogy because we become his hands. We become his feet. We become his means of interacting with the world around us. And it's important that we connect with that body and be a part of that body. Our text here, listen to our our text in verses 15 and 16. Uh, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Do we have that? Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, New Living. There we go, all right. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, 
growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts to grow. I'm going to read that again. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says God has placed each of the members in the body just as he decided. And so I want to extend that to say God has a say on where you land in church. Uh Uh-oh. It's funny how people want to say, Christ is my Lord, but I want to shop for a church based on all of my own personal tastes. Uh Uh-oh, I'll leave that. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are Christ's body, and each of you is a member of it. So it is vitally important that we connect and strive to do our part in the body of Christ, and we need to be confident that, first of all, God has a place in his body for each one of us. And secondly, that he will provide gifting for whatever he calls you to do. And we'll get back to that subject of gifting shortly. And so we need to be a part of the body of Christ. I want to look secondly at the spoils of victory because when we think in terms of spiritual gifts, we need to connect them to the victory that Jesus won. Because spiritual gifting, the spiritual gifts that work in the church are an outflow of the victory that Jesus attained. Uh Uh-oh, all right. Our text here represents a shift in focus. In verse 6, we see the word all, don't we? One God and one Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. All, 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 all. And then in verse 7, he shifts and he says, but to each one of you. And so he goes from this vast, broad picture of the body of Christ And now, right here in verse 7, it's kind of a a hinge point of the entire letter. Because right there, it begins to hinge, and we've had all these broad truths of the who is Christ. If you really go into Ephesians, there's great teaching on who Jesus is. There's powerful teaching on his work of redemption in our lives, and all these different things, and these broad subjects. He He teaches on the church, and then he shifts, and he brings, all right, in light of all of this, what is our individual responsibility? And it hinges pretty much right here. And he says here in verse 7, but to each of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now right here, we know that grace, first of all, is the undeserved, unearned favor of of God, correct? But the most simple meaning of the word grace is gift. And so the grace of redemption also carries into grace that is gifting and empowerment. And gifting and empowerment is no more earned or deserved or merited than salvation is. We can no more earn it than we can earn our salvation. 
It's something God gives out of the goodness of his heart. Just the same salvation comes out of the goodness of God's heart. Gifting and empowerment for service in the church also comes from God's heart. The New Living Translation, verse 7. He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. In other words, the grace of God brings unique gifting to every one of us. And I want to go on record and say that every time you see spiritual gifting at work, you are seeing evidence that Jesus is risen from the dead because the power of spiritual gifting is the power of grace and it is the power of resurrection. The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is now working in and through you. And so we have to connect gifting to the victory that Jesus won because, well, that's what Paul does. Look at verses 8 through 10. We're going to break this down. Verse 8. Therefore he says, and he is uh, quoting from the Psalms 68, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. You give me a minute, I'm going to start preaching to you. Amen. Verse 9 says that Jesus first descended. What does that mean? It speaks to the entirety of of his earthly ministry. We know from Scripture that Jesus has always existed. He enjoyed the worship of his angels. He was the creator. He was the very word that spoke creation into existence. And yet, we have the the history of his incarnation. He, all of that, came in the flesh. Was born as a baby, So it speaks of this descent of Christ, speaks to his incarnation. It speaks to his humility in life. It speaks to his humiliation in death. How many know he was more humiliated than any of us could ever possibly imagine? Crucified and mocked by his own creation with the power to stop it. And yet willingly took that humiliation It speaks of his descent, of his burial. And it also speaks of what occurred between his burial and his resurrection. Because really, the, the point of victory turned when he said, it is finished. What happened as he gave up the ghost? We know that an earthquake took place. The veil of the temple literally tore in half. People rose from the grave. The earth shook. Because that was the complete turning point in human history. That was the absolute turning point in the work of God in humanity. And we also know that when it talks about he descended, Paul gives kind of a mysterious thing that he descended into the lower parts of the earth. Now, this is a mysterious thing, and I'm not going to claim to have all the understanding, but something happened while his body was buried. In fact, really multiple things probably happened, but that's going to have to be another sermon. Listen to 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20, that gives us 
uh, a little bit of insight. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Aren't you glad about that? (laughs) Glory to God. The just one for the unjust like us. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the spirit, but listen, or being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Now, again, I'm not going to try. Can we just accept that some things are kind of beyond us? This is, this is a mysterious realm right here. But somehow, all these people who perished in the flood and in the days before it, and who knows how many others, uh, souls that are, that are in Hades or Sheol, which is, uh, we're going to have to explain that another day. Imagine the creator, Jesus, storming through the prison doors, flying them open, and preaching his gospel, and leading those same souls out from that prison. Why? Because the power of death was broken. Their sins had been paid for. Are you with me? God, you're looking at me like this is confusing. All right, I'm just going to get up here and get excited by myself. (laughs) And like I said, it's mysterious. I can't really dwell on it, but even in his death and burial, there was a deeper descent into the realm of death and hell. But in that time frame, Colossians 2.15, which I don't think I gave to the guys, so sorry about that. But it talks about how that he disarmed spiritual rulers and authorities, stripped them of their arms. How do you know that's a term of surrender? That the enemy is to lay down their arms and submit their arms to the conqueror. And he made an open spectacle of them and triumphed over them through the cross, over principalities, over powers, over the demonic realm, over hell, over death. He triumphed over them all through his cross. Glory to God. This was the ultimate victory, and this is where the ultimate ascent began. He went to the lowest depths of hell and brought the prisoners and ascended into the highest heavens. Verse 10 says he ascended far above the heavens. When he rose from the dead, he rose in ultimate victory. Listen to Philippians 2, 9-11. It says of what happened when he ascended from the earth back into heaven. It says, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is the one we serve. The victory is won. And in verse 8, He quotes Psalm 68, verse 18, and it says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. We should understand that Paul is immediately, someone when when they read that in, in, in their times, 
immediately understood that he was referring to a victory parade. You know, the, the practice of a victory parade or whatever is an ancient practice. And it really began in, in, in conquering and winning generals coming back to their capital city to be celebrated for their victory. In the Roman Empire, this was known as the Triumph Parade. It was a celebration of the triumphant return of a victorious general and his troops. Imagine Christ ascending back into heaven with the victory won and the angels and the redeemed saints and all of the the created realms of heaven worshiping him as he comes back in and in the, the Roman triumph, it was a major celebration. It involved the entire city. And the general and his troops would march victorious to the emperor. They would carry with them the spoils of war. All manner of gold and gems and all the spoils of a conquered enemy. And bringing behind them, they would have their vanquished enemy leaders in chains. And at this time, this part of the spoils of war would be distributed to the troops, sort of as a bonus. And often during the parade, the conquerors would, and the troops would toss some of the, the gold and the jewelry and the spoils of war to the spectators. And a great feast would be celebrated both in the city of Rome and throughout the empire. This is the idea when it says that when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Think about what held you captive? What are you fighting with right now that keeps wanting to take you captive? Can't you just draw the picture in your mind of Jesus being drawn? You know, anyone ever read the book of Ezekiel? You ever read about the chariots in the book of Ezekiel that, that carry the, the, the glory of God? They got a wheel within a wheel and all these eyes and fire. And I mean, the best Ezekiel could say was, well, it was sort of like this, but it's nothing I can describe in human terms. So I'm giving you the best I've got. Imagine the most glorious chariot of heaven with wheels within the wheels and eyes and smoke and all the things that Ezekiel's described. Jesus on that and the very troops of heaven marching behind him and then trailing behind in chains. Your shame. Trailing behind in in chains. Whatever it is that keeps trying to take you captive. Whatever it is that took you captive in your past life. Whatever it might be that you're still struggling with that wants to come along and take you captive. You can point right here to Ephesians 4 verse 8 and say, He took captivity captive. You can't take me. You've been taken captive yourself by the resurrected Christ. You have no place in me. You've been defeated. And I'm standing on the victory that's in Christ. And we know that part of that triumph procession was that gifts were distributed. Gifts of the spoils of war. These gifts represented the victory. And we're part of the victory. And the distribution of that victory through the city and even perhaps through the empire. And so I want you to understand this as we bring this back to the gifts of the Spirit. Amen. We're talking about the spoils of victory. When it says that he gave gifts to men in verse 8, 
These gifts represent first all of the grace of God and the victory that it brings to our lives. Listen, our victory is through grace. Maybe you say, you you repeat, I keep trying and failing, keep trying and failing. The problem is you keep trying. And, you know, you're just not really surrendering. Part of you, I'm sorry to say this, I don't mean to be accusatory, but you're still trying to do this on your own. It's when you finally just fall on your face and say, God, I'm miserably lost and helpless outside of your help. That's when he says, okay, now we can work. I heard a testimony, I'll just, I'll just go on this, that where, uh, of a woman who was uh, sharing, I believe it was Lisa Bevere. And she's talking about, you know, this is out of the public realm, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna claim it here. She, you know, God bless her, she was very open in an admission. She really made herself vulnerable in admitting this, but she grew up in an abusive childhood. And she found herself as a, a, a Christian, as a pastor's wife, her husband's ministry is growing, and they have a young family, and she found herself literally just about to take her own child because she was so fed up and so filled with anger and slammed that child against the wall. And she said she looked in that child's eyes and he saw fear that she recognized because it was fear that she had lived through. And she realized, you know, as many times as she said as a child, I'll never be like that, I'll never be like that, I'll never do that. Here she is in the the heat and the tumult of child rearing in a busy life, and she's doing the very thing she swore she'd never do. And she said she just broke. She hugged that child. This this moved me, I'm sorry, it's moving me again. Because in some way we can all relate And she hugged that child. She put that child down to sleep. She said she went down and wept and wept and wept and wept. God, I've become the very thing I swore I never wanted to become, and I can't change without you. And she said it was from there, everything began to shift. Sometimes we got to reach that point, church. It's painful. You mean even as a Christian? Let me warn you multiple times as a Christian. Because God starts with the superficial stuff. And he starts digging deeper. (laughs) Amen. But there's victory when we surrender. And there's grace. Can you say amen? amen? He gave gifts to men. Your victory is going to be by a gift from God. You're not going to be able to take credit for it. I couldn't, but God did. These gifts, secondly, are also given, are gifting to be utilized in service to the body of Christ. We can ask, if he gave gifts to men, what gifts did he give? And it picks up right at verse 11. He himself gave, what? Some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What did he give? He gave gifts of ministry. Amen. So let's, 
Look, thirdly, a gift being gifted for service. And I want to stress again, spiritual gifting comes as a result and an outflow of Jesus' victory. Through the cross, it is an extension of the same grace that brought you forgiveness now brings you gifting. The gift of forgiveness carries forward into gifting for service. Verse 11 again, he gave. And then he lists what I would call the ministerial gifts. This is gifting and a calling to an office or public position in the church, ministering in the word of God to his people, which then should, should turn around and, 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 and that ministry should flow outwardly. And the fruit of these ministry gifts is that the saints are equipped for the work of their own ministry. And the body of Christ is edified. And everything that we read there between verses 13 and, and verse 14 and 15. So I want you to think for a few minutes about gifting because we've got to ask, well, what is spiritual gifting? That's not a bad question. Can I just throw this out there to some of you? There's no such thing as a dumb question. If you got something rattling around, what do you mean by spiritual gift? Yeah, I remember when I first got saved, the guy who, who, who you know, connected with me and began to help me grow and disciple me, his name is Craig McLaughlin. I don't know if Malcolm might remember him. I asked him the craziest questions. And I remember apologizing to him, like, I'm sorry to keep asking you these questions. He's like, no, no, no. <laughs> I know now because the more questions I asked, it just revealed how crazy my thinking was. I had all these questions flying around. What about aliens? And what about, you know, I'd taken way too many drugs. I had all these theories about other realms and, and, and wormholes. And I, I'd drawn a lot of my life's theology from Star Wars. And Look, don't draw your life's theology from popular entertainment. Not a good idea. But thankfully, he encouraged me, Jim, just keep asking. Don't be embarrassed. I'm not, and he never did. Never once. He laughed at me a few times. I remember a few times asking him a question. He's like, what? <laughs> like, how did you even think of that? that? He never asked it in a shameful way. He's just like, dude, your brain is crazy. I didn't know people even thought these things. I said, you never took LSD. <laughs> So you might ask, what is a spiritual gift? I found a great definition. A spiritual gift, which the Greek word charism, which is why we speak in terms of charismatic. Charismatic does not refer to a bubbly, upbeat, wonderful personality. The term charismatic refers to the gifting of the Holy Spirit because it's taken from this word in the Greek language, charism. A spiritual gift refers to an endowment or extraordinary power given by the Holy Spirit. These are the supernatural graces which individual Christians need to fulfill the mission of the church. There it is. We need a supernatural endowment, an extraordinary power that can only come from the Holy Spirit. So let's read two key New Testament passages. Pardon me while we read. We're going to read a couple of 
passage. Don't nod out on me, okay? But there's two key New Testament passages that I want you to see. The first is Romans 12, 4 through 8. We're going to read that from the uh, NIV version. It says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, through many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the other members. Ooh. Ho, ho, ho. That means if I'm a member of the body of Christ, guess what? I'm not just this independent thing, free to function and float how I please. In a way, I belong to all of you. Doesn't mean you're my, you, you, I, I'm your possession. It means we're connected, whether we like it or not. Amen. Verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace or gift given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Now let me just pause there. Prophesying can be preaching. Look, when a preacher gets up, I'm just going to, we have this weird idea of prophesying, and i got to be careful, but I want to dispel the notion that somehow when supernatural gifting is at work, the individual is strangely like possessed. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 14, this is kind of me bringing out my own disturbed memory, but he said the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That means there is one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. How many have read that in the book of Galatians? That means that the prophet controls his, his, his own spirit and himself and the delivery of that message. It's not just someone going, ah, and just shouting out some weird thing. Amen. And many times, preaching, good preaching, can be the very essence of prophecy. I don't know about you, but there's been plenty of times here where it's been like, I don't know if Pastor Steve read my mail this week. You know, find my wife after church. You told him, didn't you? <laughs> But when preaching is, is timely like that, and it's reading your mail, and it's presenting, hopefully presenting answers as well, there is, that, that, is, that is prophecy. It's not just a foretelling of coming events. It is someone speaking or, or allowing God to speak to others directly through them. I just, I didn't have that in my notes. Then he goes, he goes from prophesying, look at verse 7, if it's serving, then serve. Serving is a spiritual gift? We're going to get to that. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. Giving can be a spiritual gift. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Let's move ahead to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11. This is the New English translation. Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different results, but the same God, who produces all of them in everyone. To each person, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the benefit of all. For one person is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. And another, the message of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith, by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing, by, one, by the one Spirit. 
to another performance of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another discernment of spirits, and to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues, it is one and the same spirit distributing as he decides to each person who produces all these things. So before I I move on, I want to emphasize that any gifting that we receive from God is only properly utilized in service. I had a funny moment. Julie may remember this. We had, you know, there was a time we pastored for about three and a half, four years in Pennsylvania, and we got to know a couple other pastors. And I remember getting together with them, and one of these pastors had grown, grown so frustrated with people's egos. Now, whether or not he really did this or not, I don't know. But you know what happens, and I'll just speak to you because Steve would never say this, so I'll say it. You know, usually not right after we get saved, but in time of serving God, listen, your ego is always going to want to make a comeback. Pride is always going to want to rear its ugly head. And people begin to discover their gifting and their ego and their pride attaches itself. And they begin to go to different churches because they don't feel like in any of them their gifting is being properly recognized or utilized. And this pastor mentioned he got really tired of people coming in, well, I have the gift of singing, but my previous church was not recognizing that properly. Or, I have the gift of this and the gift of that. And, and, and you know, everyone wanted a microphone. <laughs> so I don't know if he really did this or not. He might have just been joking around inventing his frustration. But basically he said, I began keeping a toilet brush in my pulpit. And I'd hand it to him, say, if you want to sing, Sing into this first. Ooh. Because what's lost there is a heart of service. And what has entered in there is a desire for recognition. And we need to really, really, really need to be careful of that when it comes to gifting because the gifting is given as a, as a means of service. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 in the New Living Translation. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. That's it in a nutshell. We're not gifted for applause. We're not gifted for recognition. We're not gifted so that we can put a bunch of titles. I'm sorry, but it always cracks me up. Who, who, I, I, I just wonder where someone gets a wherewithal to designate themselves Apostle, missionary, apostle, blah, blah, blah. They've got all these titles in front of their name. Uh-oh. I hurt somebody's feelings there. <laughs> all right, I'm going to move on. It's about service, church. And you know what? You may serve your entire lifetime in obscurity being recognized by a precious few. But I want to, you know, I I can feel it in this room, so I want to turn this around. Heaven will recognize your service. There is no greater recognition than crossing over to the other side and hearing those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the recognition we need to hunger for and thirst for. 
and crave the most. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. William Shakespeare said, The meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. And so I, I just set that, and so let's talk about these gifts here because there's a lot of teaching, there's a lot of writing, there's, there's literally libraries out there on spiritual gifts. But I'm going to just share with you some things from my own personal experience. I believe it's important to see that the gifts listed in these passages are a mix of ministerial, spiritual, or supernatural, if you will, and then what we could even call natural gifts. Isn't it funny that he lists in 1 Corinthians 12 faith as a spiritual gift? Well, don't we all have faith? I hope we do, right? But there's some people, man, they are just gifted to believe God outrageously. And God works these things. He lists just works acts of service. (laughs) Some of this list is kind of mundane. Right? We love the, the whole idea of tongues, interpretation of tongues. And we're gonna, we'll touch on that in a minute. Miracles, healing. What about giving? Serving, encouraging. Encouragement can be a gift of the Holy Spirit. And what I see is that there's this mix here of certain things that are totally supernatural, like tongues and interpretation of tongues and some of those things and miracles. But then there's the, then there's the ministerial gifts, apostles, pastors, prophets, teachers. And then there's these things that seem very natural, very normal. They almost seem like natural abilities. And so it is my conviction from my experience that God can use any one or a mix of these in our lives. I also don't think anymore, I used to, that these passages represent an exhausted list of the gifts which you, ha- you have to choose. you got to either go to Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12 and choose one of them because there's no others. Don't put God in that kind of box. I think Paul is almost really rolling out a a list of things that could just keep extending and extending and extending. And he's kind of like, you get the idea now? I think that each of us is a unique individual and God can work in and through our lives in whichever way he chooses. I'll go back to the scripture Pastor Steve quoted, Ephesians 2.10, you are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God ordained beforehand. In other words, you know, people want to think in terms, I I just want to be the best version of myself. Listen to me, that's not gospel teaching. That's humanism. God is not your genie to make you into the, the person you'd like to be. Although, let me tell you, living for Jesus, you feel a lot better about yourself than you do otherwise. Something God has been doing with me over the years, especially probably more so in the last five years, God has really been helping me to just be more and more comfortable in my own skin. Here I am. Nerd and all. What you see is what you got. Maybe it's age because you get in your 50s and you're like, I just don't care. 
<laughs> My brother Bob has a master's degree in I don't care. He's, he's working on his doctorate. <laughs> Love you, buddy. <laughs> and so sometimes our gifting can be God bringing spiritual life and spiritual energy to our natural abilities. Other times our gifting can be something that we would never, ever normally do, but God calls us and empowers us to do it anyway. I love Moses. I love reading in Exodus. I always get encouraged when God calls Moses, go to Pharaoh and say this. And Moses is like, but, 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 I, 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 don't talk good. God's like, well, Aaron can talk. You, you. <laughs> Aaron had to be gifted with patience while Moses stuttered this stuff out. Amen, sorry. I, I have a cartoon brain. I see these things in scripture. Moses never in a million years saw himself as becoming some prophet. It wasn't like he was a kid. I'm gonna be a prophet one day. It's like he basically looked at the Lord, looking at a, a bush burning with the glory of God, not being consumed, no smoke. And he's basically like, are you crazy? So I want you to beware. It can be something that begins with a natural ability or it can be something that is so out, far outside of your boat, you're wondering, God must have lost his mind if he's asking me to do this. Or it might be some combination of both. What I'm trying to say is you can't put a formula on spiritual gifting. I know there's lots of books out there and all that. Good luck. You're not going to put a formula on it. But when it comes to discovering our gift, the first thing that I personally would recommend is that you begin to understand yourself and what your natural abilities are and then bring those natural abilities into service for the kingdom. It's a great place to start. God can, you know, I have it in my note here, natural gifting is still gifting from God. Whether it's programmed into your DNA or whether it's something God brings along exclusively by the power of the Holy Spirit, but even those giftings that are built into our DNA, they are giftings from God that he intended to utilize in his kingdom. And they should be deployed in service to God. You know, let me just encourage you. Serving God is an opportunity. Volunteering is an opportunity. Uh-oh. Like, oh yeah, I couldn't really be bothered with that. That's somebody else's job. Well, man, we got an opportunity to be a part of the greatest thing happening on the planet, and that's the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. And we can begin by bringing some of our natural ability. Because then God can anoint it, bring life to it, and it becomes something supernatural. I have an example. Bear with me. I'm going to get some of these names wrong. But we're going to read from Exodus 35. Exodus 35, starting in verse 30. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord is called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. See what I mean? But listen to this. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge and all manner of workmanship, 
to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach in him and in Aholiab, the son of Ahizamach. I think I got it right. Of the tribe of Dan, he has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker in blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen and of the weaver, those who do every work and those who design artistic works. Chapter 36, and Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord, listen to that, the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, shall do accordingly to all that the Lord has commanded. Then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. Here God, you know, you remember when they came out from Egypt, they came out with the spoils of Egypt, and now God is basically saying, I want you to take all that wealth and all those spoilers, and we are to set up a, a forum of worship and they built the tabernacle in the wilderness. And God is saying that he had certain people at a certain time with certain skills that he had put in them for specifically that purpose that he was going to gift and anoint and bring life to in order to propel his kingdom forward. But these are what would seem like very natural abilities, don't they? And God's saying, I want you to bring them and put them into my hands for service. This is a great example of natural gifting being deployed to kingdom purpose. And I believe, likewise, our natural gifting should also be deployed in the service of God and in the body of Christ. And if you're wondering where to start, that's where you can start. Because as we do this, God brings divine anointing. God brings energy. God brings resurrection. Let's go back now. What did I say is behind spiritual gifting? The resurrection. And as we bring our abilities and our gifting into God's service, that resurrection power begins to infuse them and it begins to come alive. Are you following me here? Place into God's hand for God's purpose, our natural gifting becomes supernatural. And I want to encourage you, each of you, to begin prayerfully to get to know yourself and bring those talents and those strengths and gifting from God to the church. From there, we can move into the subject of ministerial gifting and spiritual gifting. This can be a distinct calling from God, which he empowers you to fulfill. We see this in Ephesians 11. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, and on we go. This is a supernatural ability he gives you in order to serve the church. But the key to understanding here is that spiritual gifting is not necessarily the same as natural gifting. As I brought out earlier, a spiritual gift will generally not be something that comes naturally. In other words, let me just throw this out there. You can take uh, one of these personality tests. And that personality test may come back and say certain things about you and, and, and help you to understand where your strengths are. But then God may begin to stir your heart to do something completely apart from those. In other words, don't think you can fully develop the concept of spiritual gifting from a personality test. Because God is a lot bigger than our personality tests. 
Can you say amen to that? So how do we discover our spiritual gift? Again, we discover our spiritual gift by spending time with God. We discover our spiritual gift by being filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Let me tell you something. It's important that we get filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not today's sermon, but I would be happy to sit down with you and go through two, two distinct chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians and explain to you that I believe it is God's will that every individual believer be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And then there is a separate type of tongues that is a prophetic language that is completely distinct and separate from a language of prayer and a language of communion with God. And it is important that we be filled with the Holy Spirit because this is where supernatural gifting takes place. Many times I've been in meetings where people, uh, people are being prayed for for the Holy Spirit and they begin to prophesy in that same meeting as they're filled with the Holy Ghost. Are you with me? I'm going to just go on record and saying part of the reason I landed in this church is I want to be part of a Pentecostal church. I want to be part of a church where the gifts of the Spirit are moving, where they are encouraged, where we are free to to, to move in those things and develop those things. I want to see God get loose. Amen. We need to hunger and thirst for the supernatural power of God to work in our lives and work in our churches. God knows, you know what, the world, the world, I'm just, I'm going to go off. Let me, give me a minute. The world has gone way over into being into the supernatural. They want zombies. They want vampires. They want witches. They want all these supernatural powers in their entertainment and, and they're all drawn to these things. And the church is over here going, we need to be rational. My God, the world is craving supernatural power. And where the church is not bringing it, they're turning to witchcraft. Where the church is not bringing it, they're turning to zombies. They're turning to strange religions. We need to crave the supernatural. Let's be Pentecostal. Every now and then, don't be afraid if we're in the middle of song service and you're getting excited. Give it a shout. Uh oh. <laughs> All right, better move on. We want to discover our spiritual gift. We better, we better get filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a spiritual gift. It comes by spiritual power. Spiritual power comes by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, on a less exciting note, we discover our spiritual gift by meeting needs. And what will begin to happen is God will begin to show you a need and it'll be something that you feel completely and desperately and horribly unqualified to meet. I'm just not that kind of person. I, I, I. <laughs> now I'm right in where you live. Well, maybe God's showing you that need because he wants to empower you to meet that need beyond what comes easily, beyond what becomes naturally. What we do is we claim, <laughs> I have the gift of discernment. And I discern we have a need and someone should meet it. 
Beware. A lot of times, the gift of discernment, people claiming the gift of discernment is just a, a, a demonic spirit of criticism masquerading in Holy Spirit words. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's dangerous giving me a microphone sometimes. You meet a need which you feel horribly equipped to do, and as you step out in faith anyway and attempt to meet that need, God begins to equip you with ability far beyond what becomes naturally. You'll find yourself stepping up to maybe an individual who you see struggling, and you haven't got a clue, you're all discombobulated in your head, and you just want to help, and all of a sudden, as the conversation starts, words just start coming. Where did that come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.16, again, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. If you're a part of the body of Christ, God has a special work for you. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. See, I think above all, when it comes to using our gifts and discovering our gifts, whether those are seemingly natural things, ministerial, spiritual, or some combination of all of the above, the most important thing is that we have a heart to serve Christ by serving his body. Amen. Listen, to, I just want to conclude with one last scripture, and we're going to wrap it up. I've gone long enough. <laughs> Matthew 20, 25 through 28. This needs to be the spirit behind all of it. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. There's a worldly spirit. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. It needs to start with a heart to serve. When, our whole, when we're constantly talking like, well, my needs aren't being met, and I don't feel like the church is functioning properly over here, and I feel like this is wrong. I'm sorry you feel that way. But please, we're doing the best we can. We really are. Like, none of us wakes up in the morning and says, I think I want to be a mediocre Christian in a mediocre church and just, you know, live a C-minus life. What's the least I can do and get by? <laughs> We're praying for revival, guys. We're striving, and it, it's, it's just vitally important that spiritual gifts begin, and I believe they already are, so don't get me wrong. It was so encouraging last week as we had more people volunteering in different roles than we've had in a long time. What a blessing. It was great. It was so great to see. It was such a blessing to see families here again that we haven't seen in a while. Villanuevas, we love you. Conivers, we love you. So many of you, we love you. We're going to get through this. 
But it's such a blessing to see people serving and making things happen. And I just want to encourage you, let's find more of that. And if you're wondering where to start, start with what, what you know how to do and offer it. Amen. God will grow it from there. You know, the first thing I started doing in church was moving chairs. When I first got saved, it felt like we were constantly moving folding chairs. Because the people had to clean the sanctuary because we were all slobs. We walked in, we were rough. We walked in there with soda, with chips, all kinds of stuff. And thankfully, the pastor was very, very, <laughs> he, he let a lot of stuff go. But man, we made those people who cleaned the church really work. But I noticed while everyone else was, was milling around, one or two people were kind of moving chairs. So I jumped in, I started moving chairs. I didn't think that would be the beginning of some kind of calling on my life, but it was. Amen? Are you with me here? And we need to remember, final, just keep two key points we can walk away with. We need to have a heart to serve, and any gifting going through our lives is going to be gifting that flows out from the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, who is right now Lord in heaven, our advocate, our intercessor, our high priest, our king, our savior, our everything. He is alive. And the same power that raised him from the dead can work in you and develop you and flow through you to bring an effect to your life that goes far beyond what you ever would, would, would have happen alone. May heaven bear witness that when we get there, feeling like we have dragged ourselves in, feeling exhausted or whatever, there's a, 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 this vast group of people waiting there. Well, who are you? Oh, we're the ones who are affected by your life. We're so thankful that you serve God. You know, you witnessed to this person, you shared the gospel with this person, and nothing happened right then, but two years later they got saved and they shared the gospel with me. And then I shared the gospel with these people. Look at this. You didn't think anything happened that day, and there's this ripple going out. That's what God will do with our lives. And we need to have that hope in our hearts, amen? Let's take a minute and pray, and we'll dismiss. Father, thank you so much. Above everything, Lord, thank you for the victory that's in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you have raised from the dead, that you have taken captivity captive, that you have ascended on high, and that you are Lord and King of the universe right now, no matter how chaotic everything around us may seem. You're still Lord, and you're King, and you have a plan. Lord, we pray today that you would help us to find the purpose that you've called us to, that if you are working on us, that if we are your workmanship and you have good works that you have preordained for us to walk in, help us, Father, to have an ear to hear. Help us to have a heart to obey. Help us, Lord, to, to discover what those works are. And may you draw us and bring us into them and use our lives. Lord, today we lay our lives on this altar. We say like Isaiah, here am I, Lord, send me. And Father, we just ask that you would move not only on our church, but you would move on the church throughout the world. 
that you would raise up a people. Lord, our prayer is that revival would begin to break out in a way that is completely uncontrollable, that is completely beyond human means, and that people would begin to get saved, that ministry would rise up, and we pray, Father, that you would have glory through your church in the earth. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless us today as we go from here, and we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon.